Stop right there. I am interrupting my normal podcast intro to tell you guys about my upcoming course literally coming out tomorrow. It's called Back to the Basics and straight up, it's everything that you need to know to succeed at full-time photography. I basically have taken everything that I've learned in my time of doing full-time photography and I'm spilling all the tea. I'm giving you all of my secrets, my strategies, my systems, everything that I do to help my business succeed. I don't think that there should be gatekeeping within the photography community and that's why I created this course because I don't want to gatekeep any info from you guys. So if you're interested in learning more about this course, click the link in the description. It's called Back to the Basics and seriously, this course is going to transform your photography business. I wish I would have had a course like this when I was getting into full-time photography. So go click that link in the description and onto the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Oh Shoot. I'm your host, Cassidy Lynn, and today I'm chatting with Larkin Kendall. She is an amazing photographer. I'm so excited to talk with her just about her creative process and posing. It's going to be a really, really good episode, so I'm super excited for you guys to hear it, and let's get into it. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm chatting with Larkin Kendall. So Larkin, go ahead, intro yourself, tell everyone about you. Hi, um, my name is Larkin. It is spelled like Larkin, but please don't call me that. It's just plain old Larkin. Um, I am a wedding photographer uh, for the last seven years, which I kind of just accidentally fell into. I'm a mother. Um, I'm a writer. I like to paint. I have like 50 chickens. I have goats. I have um, a, a giant wheat farm where we grow wheat and not weed um, in <laughs> the Northwest on the, on the east side of, east of Washington state. Okay, cool. So when it comes to photography, kind of talk me through like how you got started in it. So kind of like, what's your story? Like, I want to hear the details, like just dive so, in. I'll just, I'll just tell you, I actually, it started with being evicted from our house. So I started because in 2012, we actually had a situation where my husband's grandfather passed on and we were living on the family farm at that time. My husband was running it. We got into a situation with his mother. So my mother-in-law who I call uh, the creature, and we ended up going to court with her. And throughout this process, she evicted us from our farm, mm -hmm. from our house. Um, and just in true narcissist style, thought that she didn't have to pay attention to a will, which let us live here and had my husband farming and, uh, you know, a lot of stuff went into that. So we actually got kicked out. My husband lost his job. We had to figure out how to do life in a new way. And uh, my husband went to work somewhere else for a little bit, but I was seven months pregnant with my second son at this time. And in the time that I had, you know, Facebook was a thing. I had no Instagram. It was 2012, 2013. I had no yeah. Instagram 
time. I was just on Facebook. So people, I was posting photos of my kids. I had like a Canon point and shoot that I loved. It was like the light of my life. People would ask me to take photos of their family and of their kids, like how I was doing my own kids. And I, I was always like, mm, yeah, I'm good. I don't want to do that. But then this happened and I had to generate some sort of income. I never meant to shoot weddings. I never meant for it to go anywhere at all. I just wow. meant for the then. Yeah. Um, and it, it just escalated from there. I ended up shooting um, some, a bunch of families. I found that I had a love for in-home photography, which is really my heart work. The weddings are amazing, but I love shooting in home. Um, and that's where it started. And, and I took my first weddings off of Craigslist actually, because I wanted to experience it without the pressure of money, you know, yeah. cause once you add money into the equation, then you feel external expectation. Yeah. So I just saw, and surprisingly there's a huge market on Facebook or in Craigslist for people who want to have their wedding shot for free and they don't care, you know, they just want something. Yeah. So I did like three or four of those and, and found that I could handle it. It was all about seeing if I had the personality and, and the, the threshold of patience to handle something like that. And it was the beginning of, of this. And here I am. Wow. That's so cool. So if anyone is listening to this and wants to get into weddings, Craigslist is where it to is start. A to get your feet wet and, you know, see, see if it's even for you, if you can handle the environment and the chaos. And right. I, I thrive in like a manic energy situation. So it works lovely for me. Yeah. It's perfect for you. Then. I love it. So did you start off kind of like full-time and then transition into part-time? Like what was that? No, or, I, I didn't have any intention with anything. It just, I just started saying yes to jobs. So it was more like I was invited into a full-time career okay. by the people who were hiring me. I never, ever put it, an expectation or an outcome on it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I am now I still consider myself full-time. I mean, I, this is my job. This is what I do. I, I take 20 to 30 clients a year. Um, usually around 25 weddings is my sweet spot any more than that. And I just want to jump off a bridge because it's just it's too it's much, it's too much. Um, but then I have clients who are, you know, in home couples and families sprinkled in. Cause I still have a huge heart for that. Mm -hmm. I love that kind of work. And it's where you can really stretch your creativity right. legs and try new things without the, the pressure of the timeline. So full-time just, it literally just happened. Okay. It literally something that happened. Yeah. I feel like for me, it was just like, it felt like the right time. You know, I feel like it, it is just something that, like you said, it just like happens. Like it just feel like it feels right. And it just, yeah. you know, the transition is just so smooth. Like you don't feel, yeah, at least there was for me. Yeah, no, that's how I feel too. And there was never a point where I didn't have, like, I was waiting tables, but we live an hour from anything. So I was mostly a stay-at-home mom and I waited tables a couple nights a week at a Thai place that I'd been at for like 10 years. Mm -hmm. That's what I was doing. I had no direction for my life whatsoever. And I was in my late 20s. Um, so then this happened and it kind of was kismet. It just took over and, and did its own thing. And there was never a point though, where I can recall actively making a decision to pursue it full-time. Yeah. It just, it just manifested itself. Wow. That's literally so cool. Your story is so unique. Like literally, I like, I feel like my story is like literally so boring compared to like, wow, that's so cool. I've had, I mean, I've just had a lot of bad circumstances, but I feel in retrospect, when we look back on things, you realize that all those horrible moments of your life were all for a good reason. Right. Yeah. That was for me, that was so traumatic. And I lived in a, in a fight or flight mode for so long in survival, but looking back at it, it shaped who I am today and what I'm able to provide to my family and my loved ones and, and my small contribution to humanity, which is documenting people's lives. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I want to transition into what you shoot on. I know you mentioned a Canon point and shoot, but what, what's your go-to? Nikon. I am a Nikon shooter. I have been a Nikon shooter for, I don't even know, seven, six years now. I was only maybe five. I was only a Canon shooter for the first two years. So I guess that was 2013, 2014. Okay. Now I am, what, how many years has it been? Eight, nine, 10, 11. Oh my God. Have I been almost nine years in this? I guess so. Oh man. I lost some time. <laughs> I lost some time. Um, so for the past, since like 2015, I've been a, a Nikon shooter. And the reason for that is because I love to shoot indoor photography Outside, I get very overwhelmed with a lot of options, but shove me in a house in a dark closet and mm-hmm. tell me to make it work. And I thrive in that sort of environment where you yeah. limit when you limit the possibility. I do really well in that. But when there's too much option and it's a beautiful field or whatever, I, I kind of like get wrapped up in my mind about what's best. And so I'm just trying to limit the, the choices of my life across the board. So the Nikon has really high dynamic range, which, which means that I can shoot in a very low light setting and still have a very smooth experience within the camera technically. So I'm not mm-hmm. getting like a ton of noise and stuff like that. Right. Which is yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, especially like with weddings too. Just oh, having yeah. something that can shoot in low light is so huge unless yeah. like you really enjoy using a flash which sometimes I do but other oh, times no, it's I like... love flash too I love it too but I like not having to worry you know about right. my camera and not being able to handle it and also right. I don't want to back my ISO up to crazy 12,000 you know oh, yeah. ISO and and deal with that situation later because I'm just in a I don't know what to do but I know that my camera can handle a lot of dark so that mm-hmm. works well for me and what lenses do you find yourself shooting on I love my 35. Primarily, if I have two on, it's a 35 and a 24. Okay. Um, my my next favorite would be a 58, which I think is exclusive to Nikon. I think so. Yes, I love that lens. I have shot on that lens for a number of years now. It's it's my favorite. It's cool. a very editorial kind of different look to it. That mm-hmm. right at camera, I enjoy it a lot. And then, like if during the ceremony, I usually travel with either a 105 or an 85 in my bag for just in cases. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't prefer that look myself, but mm-hmm. right. Yeah. It's like, if you can't like, if the ceremony is literally like so far away or like yeah. you have restrictions or something, you just gotta, yeah. and it's just, yeah, it's just safe to have it in the bag no matter what. So that even if you're having a day where you're not feeling like you want to creep up that close, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just like to have it there as a safety. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So I want to jump into a little bit of, kind of like your style and creative storytelling, like that topic. Um, so my question for you is what helped you find your style? Um, you know, a lot of photographers struggle with this right away. And I think even like for me now, I'm still discovering like what my style is. So what were those things that helped you find your style? I mean, I guess I, I look back on my early career and I love the work that I was making for the first like four years. I really love it because I was excited. Like yeah. I could not wait. I would try, I, I've always been the personality to just try everything and I'm, I'm very um, extroverted. So whatever comes through my head filters out of my mouth. And that goes when I'm directing people, I was never scared of people saying no to me or for asking to try weird new things. I've never had that block in my mind. Um, and so I think that that's really what defined my style and helped me early on to, to figure out what I liked because I was climbing all over people. And I still do that to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I notice when I teach workshops, because I have an in-person workshop, the inside workshop, when I teach that a lot of the students are very surprised that I'm all over and in the space of, 
of the subjects, but I really mm-hmm. am. I climb on top of them. I'm sitting on them. I'm squatting on them. Like it, it's a very personal relationship that I have with my couples. Um, I don't look at my work and think it has any real defined style. My whole goal is to, to make, you know, like the wedding that I'm shooting now as different as possible from the wedding I shot previous because couples are so different. Lives are so different. So I don't put any pressure externally on myself to create in, in a particular way in a consistent way. I'm just very inspired by the people in front of me and the mood that they're, that they're setting for me. Right. Yeah. That's a good way to approach it, especially with wedding photography. Every couple is different. So approaching it from that mindset is going to be a lot more helpful than kind of putting a template on every single wedding, because that would be a lot harder to fit a couple maybe into a template that they don't fit, you know? So, and that's the problem with, you know, like the Pinterest type stuff where you're taking a photo and you're showing your couple like, Hey, this is what I want you to do. Well, bodies are different. The way that two people fall together. It's like a DNA. It really is. Every couple has their individual DNA. The way they move together is different. So when I'm shooting, I'm always observing for the first 15, 20 minutes, um, how their bodies fit together, what they look more comfortable doing, what looks more unnatural. And that's just by letting them move around and, and seeing how things go. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. Um, what advice would you have for someone then who is struggling with like the creative storytelling you know, finding their style, what advice would you have for someone? First of all, I think that you need to prepare yourself. You need to know what you're lacking in your work, what you're unhappy with, because how can you know what you need to change if you can't put a word on what you're unhappy with? Yeah. So if you are seeing, for me personally, I don't like to look at other people's work. I've always been that way because of course it makes you feel bad about your own. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your career. You can always find a way to make yourself feel bad. So I choose to lift up the people that I love and care about and and who show their work. I love that, but I don't go onto other people's websites. I choose instead to take my inspiration when I'm feeling like something's got to change or I'm just like in a rut. I take it from photo books. So I'll buy like big, huge stacks of uh, photographic encyclopedias from the seventies and eighties. And I like to collect works that are, you know, Sal Leiter, people like that from, from times gone past their books and look at those and see what they were doing and feel inspired by that because art is really just repetition of something that's already happened um, from your eyes. So that's what I like to do. But as far as going in and, and shooting, you need to be prepared. So I like to tell my students or the people that I mentor, like, Go through a mental rehearsal. First of all, identify what it is that you want to try or what it is that you're lacking in your work. And the day before your shoot, try to mentally rehearse what that shoot is going to look like, what you're going to try to do, what you're going to run them through. Because if you're not doing that and you're showing up, not only are you dealing with your body's nervous energy and the sweaty and feeling like you can't take time and talk slowly and think during the session, you have no idea what you want to do. So you're not accomplishing anything and you're leaving the shoot and you're like, shit, I didn't get anything that I wanted to get because I was nervous and I wasn't prepared and I forgot that I wanted to do this. But if you're running it in your mind over and over, you're going to be ready to go when you get there. Yeah. Everything's so different as when you're in someone's physical space, of course you have to deal with that dynamic and you guys have to cope with each other's energies, but you can prepare ahead of time so that you're at, you know, as prepared as you can possibly be for that shoot. Yeah. You are talking to one of like the most overthinkers, 
like I'm such an overthinker. So the idea of walking through a shoe, I guess I didn't even realize that I do that, but I think that is really helpful. Like just kind of knowing what steps you want to take. Like you're not just going to show up and just expect it to magically fall into place. Like you have to prepare for literally everything in life. Like if you're doing a Ted talk, if you're teaching a class, whatever, like you have to prep for that. So why would you not prep for a shoe? Well, and that's what I, I, um, and people are like, oh my goodness, like it never occurred to me, but it's because I got sick. I started doing this because I got sick of, of showing up and feeling like, you know, like nervous and not knowing what I wanted to do. And that all, so much of that is from not being prepared and not right. knowing what you want out of it in the first place. How can you, how can you create anything meaningful to yourself if you don't even know what you're trying to do? Yeah. And another, another tip that I would say is surrender the outcome. The reason that we're so unhappy too is because we're trying to control how things turn out all the time. So if you go into your shoot just excited about creating something and trying something new and serving the people in front of you, you're not going to be disappointed no matter what you create. Yeah. Wow. I really like that one too. Girl, yes. <laughs> you're just throwing them out there. I'm just over here just like listening. Wow. That's so yes. good. So I think I want to transition to talking about posing. Um, walk me through your approach to posing and even like what it would look like during a session. If you were to kind of like pose your subjects, like just walk me through that process. Well, my, um, posing starts before I'm even in the room with them because I am huge into client preparation and setting expectation. There's a whole long process that I do with all my couples, but as far as posing goes, um, I do a lot of repetition. Um, I, I approach pros, posing. I approach photography. I approach my career as if I'm first a director above all things, because in this little niche of photography where you're doing couples and you're doing weddings, it's so different from, from documentary photography. Weddings, I like to combine those two aspects and, and kind of make them meld together into something that's hybrid. But when I'm coming into a session, I run it as if I'm a movie director. So I'll say, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want her to do. Um, Let's start from the beginning. And I'll say, okay, run it. And I'll have them do exactly what I told them to do. And then I'll say, okay, again, okay, again, okay, again. And I'm shooting it from all different angles and perspectives. And I'm changing things that need to be changed. And usually on the third or fourth or fifth one, even that's when I'm, I'm, refining. And I'm I'm like a surgeon because I know exactly what I want to get out of that shot. And then I change things. So my whole, my whole philosophy on everything in life is to try to make it as been everything that you do as beneficial in multiple ways as you possibly can. So that comes to posing instead of just, I see people overshoot the same thing over and over because they're just there holding shutter, shutter, shutter. And then you're going home, you're trying to call these photos that are an eighth of a second apart. And there's just the slightest difference and you agonize over that forever. (laughs) So instead of that, I'm like, okay, they can stay like this, but I'm going to move. I'm going to move. I'm going to get his perspective. I'm going to get hers. I'm going to reverse it. I'm going to say, I'm going to look at a, a good way to do this is to look at a pose that you have your couple in and say, how did we get here? How would we have gotten to here? and walk them back through that process Mm -hmm. um, and have them fall into the same pose and then say, where do we go from here and document that process? Because my whole thing, when I'm looking at a photo story, when I'm, when I'm thinking and I'm rehearsing a shoot, I want it to feel like um, a movie broken down. I want it to feel like a very linear storyline because I present all of everything that I do goes to my couples in the form of a slideshow. I don't even deliver a gallery until I tell them like, I'm going to hold your shit hostage right now until you watch the slideshow. <laughs> they watch the slideshow and then 
I give them the photos, but I, in that way, I'm always thinking about my slideshow because I love it so much and it helps me tell the story in the way that I want it to be told, but also in the way that I witnessed it for them. Wow. Um, so your client prep process then, is that just like a lot of telling them what to expect from the session or it's being being open to them in a, so what, one of the things that I do is I, when I get an inquiry, they get an automatic response through my booking program. When I actually physically have my hands and I go in and I'm sending them the brochure, part of what I'm telling them is don't email me, text me if you want to move forward. And I force the whole relationship into text right away because I want it to feel more personal. I hate emails. You're going to get a text from me faster than you're going to get an email anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like to set the tone for how personal, how close I like my relationships to be with my clients. I don't take people who just want a vendor who wants someone to just come in and take pretty photos um, generically because anybody can do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I want people who we, we share a, a belief on what photographs are. That's what I want. And I want to be treated like a human being. I have that right. You have that right. Anybody at any level has the right to be treated like a human being um, and not like a paid service for hire. I like someone owns you. Yeah. I, I do not do well with people like that. It doesn't matter if it's going to be a $13,000 payday. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I had to turn down a wedding that was almost $20,000 last year. I, I almost fell into my own I, I didn't listen to my own advice for the first time in a really long time. And I thought oh, I'll be able, and she ended up being such a nightmare. I didn't take her wedding. I told her no in the bit, in the second Skype call I did with her. I was like, you're, you're not for me. And I'm not going to take your wedding. She ended the call on me immediately, but I, I don't care because I'm, yeah. I've never let anybody make me hate the thing I love to do. And nobody should for any amount of money. And if you're branding yourself appropriately and you're running, you know what you want, then there's no reason why you should be working for people you hate. Right. No. Yeah. And I think it's, it's part of like the expectations that you set up before someone even reaches out, you know, like the expectations of your process, like what it looks like to work with you. Like you're saying your brand and all of that, it sets up the right people to come to you. And you might still get a few people that, you know, aren't a good fit and they still make it into your inbox, but you know, when you start with your brand and someone very clearly sees what it's like to work with you, how, you know, how you do things. I think that's like a really, a really good thing to set up on the back end. Exactly. And the first thing you should be doing when you're looking at branding yourself, I've never thought about my brand. I just thought about who I wanted to work with and why I love what I do. And I mm-hmm. express that. Um, I never went in, I never pretended to be anything other than what I was, which I think is why I'm happy and I've never had a bad client. I've had one, but it was many years ago when I first started okay. um, and I wasn't doing things right. But the whole point of your brand, your online presence, everything should first and foremost to deter. You should be looking to scare people away. <laughs> people that do not like, like do not believe what you believe. People who I, if you follow me on Instagram, uh, you will find that I drop a lot of F-bombs. I find it to be very cathartic. I like to cuss. I am who I am. I'm a mother. I'm a foul mouth. I'm so many things and I don't feel like I should have to mute myself and any aspect of my personality for the mm-hmm. comfort of other people, um, even for my clients. And I think that everybody, if everybody approached their business the same way, we would all be so much happier. Yeah. Truly. We would be working for people who resonate with our message. Right. Uh, like, real way. like we are not the photographer for everybody, you know, right. like there is, it is a puzzle piece type of thing. And right. like, you are not 
going to be the best fit for every single person that's out there. So don't try to like make yourself the no, perfect photographer you for everyone. A magnet for for your people just like you. That's all you want to be. Right. The photographer for everyone is going to make you miserable. Miserable. Yeah. It'll just yeah, it just leads to a lot of like people pleasing, which is so hard. No, thank you. Yeah. Um anyway. so <laughs> we were talking about posing and I did want to ask you a little bit about just like posing tips for anyone that is like just starting with photography and really is struggling with posing. What are just some practical like tips for them? Well, ahead of being prepared and knowing what you want it to look like, or for me, like I'm always chasing a feeling. So I think about what I want my photos to feel like when I'm mm-hmm. going to work with a couple. Um, making sure that that the little things, the neck, the hands, the mouth look relaxed in a pose. So even if you pause and you tell her, him or her, you know, relax, breathe through your mouth, drop your shoulders, make it lazier, relax your hands. These little things translate to emotion in a photograph. They translate relaxation and comfort and intimacy even. So you don't, I I just think that people don't pay attention to the smallest little things that, that show tension in photos. And it can make a huge difference if you just, instead of having someone like how I'm looking at you shade on, if you just had me like slump a little and turn my head, what a difference that makes in a photograph and in, in a vibe coming off of it. Yeah. So it's honestly like the little things, like, I think that's interesting, like relaxing the neck and like breathing. I've never thought about that making a difference, but it does. Oh, it makes a huge difference. I tried to so many different ways to get people to relax their mouths because when they're being photographed, they're, you know, like you're, you can, (laughs) you can sense so much about a mouth. And so what I tried, you know, like lick your lips. So when you lick your lips, you kind of just like open your mouth a little bit right after, mm-hmm. but that just got to be, some people started doing it sexy. And I was like, this is not, this is not getting where we want to go. So I started telling people just breathe through their mouth. Like I'm not talking like caveman, like, you know, like just breathe through your mouth, relax your mouth and always, you know, be like, no, oh, I'm lazy. I'll call it like heroin. I'll say like, you're a little bit like warm and tipsy inside. You feel like a piece of hot chocolate melting in the sun things like that. I'm always using food and animal references, um, mm-hmm. to get, get where I want to go. Yeah. And I just, say, I literally say whatever comes in my head. That's what I do. And I just started <laughs> doing that from the beginning and now I'm just dead to it. It doesn't matter if people laugh or think it's silly, or I tell a joke that falls dead. I don't, I don't have any feeling about it one way or another. I love it's that. It's all about seeing what works for every couple. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is too good. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about your mentoring real quick. Uh, Cause yeah. I do want to talk about social media, which you mentioned yeah. a little bit, yeah. but you mentioned that you also do mentoring. So kind of talk me through like what your mentoring looks like. I know you said yeah. you have new mentorships coming up and stuff like that. Yeah. So one of the things that I've discovered the last couple of years, um, I get a lot of requests to teach at workshops. I get I have as many wedding requests as I do or mentorship requests as I do for weddings. And I can't be there for everyone and, and be there for myself and be there for my family at the same mm-hmm. time. So, um, I couldn't, I never could decide how to, how to get out and, and educate and serve in my community without, I get overwhelmed by a lot of content. So, you know, like when I buy a workshop and I look at it online and it's just 10 hours of content, I could never, 
I could never produce that myself. And I found the process overwhelming as I was thinking about it. So one of my friends and my mentor, she's actually a florist. Her name is Alyssa Lytle. She's at Color Theory Design. If you want to look at her amazing work, she has a membership for florists and she drops like three to four, six minute videos every month, showing them how she's doing things that month and teaching them about business. And I thought this is doable for me. This is doable for me as I'm traveling. And it also allows me to tailor content to different levels of photographers, right. um, which I really love. And it, I may, I didn't, I also like never want to overcharge people for things. I feel like it's, I, I didn't want something where someone has to take the credit card out and pay, you know, like a thousand dollars for an online workshop. So it's 37 bucks a month and I'm going to do drop videos of how to run business, how I, how I operate, how I direct, um, the weddings that I'm doing that month. I'm going to, I'm going to make a little BTS. I bought a GoPro to just strap on my chest and we'll see how it goes. So excited. Um, I'm going to try all different kinds of things to just reach out into my community and, and help people grow where they want to go mm-hmm. while maintaining who they really are in, in a very real way and not sacrificing themselves to social media or external expectation from other people. Because I just think that's the path to, 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 even if you are successful monetarily, you are intrinsically unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that idea of almost like less content, but more quality, you know, with those shorter videos, I think that's really helpful, especially like if you're busy, like yeah. sometimes oh, well, you just don't have to. What it's for. So it's called motherphotographer.com, <laughs> which I love because I wanted to gear it toward people like me. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to sit down and absorb hours of content. I want short and sweet, actionable things that I can apply immediately, but that are meaningful and make me think or help me learn, you know, a better way of doing things without the time suck. So that's right. who it's for. It's for moms. It's for dads. It's for busy people who just have other jobs or not a lot of time. Just, I basically want to work with people like me. Yeah. <laughs> Always. That's just Always. your goal. Always, yeah. Forever across the board, across the board. <laughs> yeah. So I will link your Instagram and stuff in the description. So if anyone's <laughs> listening and they are like, yes, I want to do that, go to the description. Cause that's where everything will be linked. Um, okay. so we'll jump into social media now. Um, sure. I'm so interested to hear how did your social media growth kind of start within your business? Like what was that growth starting point looking like for you? I think it was like, I I think I got on in 2015 to Instagram. Um, and I grew very quickly. Not only did was pods were a thing at that time where you had like a bunch of people together commenting on each other's stuff. I came up with like my friend, Steph, she's from the daisies. Um, my friend Joe, who went on to be like a, a monster, uh, personality, or I don't know what they call people who just have a great life. And (laughs) and share it. She's a beautiful human being. <laughs> All of us like came up together and ended up having this relationship and Morgan from in frames photography, we like helped each other grow. But one of the things I decided early on was I was not going to do what everyone else was doing in the caption. I have always been myself in my caption. I looked at that as my personality, whereas, you know, my, my photographs, my work was there, but the caption had nothing to do what was going on, mm-hmm. what was going on in, in the frame. Um, and I think that's really why I started to to grow very quickly is because that wasn't happening at that time. Um, and now it is, which is a beautiful thing. Like you should be able to say what you want to be, who you want to be and still connect with your audience and make money. Um, but at that time it wasn't happening. So I think that's what it was because a lot of people began to relate to me and, and it kind of gave them permission to do the same. 
Yeah. I love, which is, was, it was the most beautiful part of the whole thing was seeing my friends come out and say, Oh my God, I mentored one woman who I love. She's a dear friend of mine and she has a big social media following, but she came to my first workshop and I said, you're not like how you are in real life. And, yeah. and you say fuck a lot and you're not saying it. You're not saying it on your, and so then she was like, oh, and so she started being her true self on there. And I think she grew, she was happier for it. She didn't have to censor herself and she was able to attract people that she wanted um, who were like her. It was great. So that's really where I've always come from is I just always wanted to give, never put myself in a box, even in editing in any aspect of my business. I never wanted it to control me, to confine me. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to grow because, you know, like we've all been 10 different people in our lifetime and we should be allowed to express that and to show that as we change our opinions, as we change what we're about and, and what we're pursuing. Yeah. Sometimes Instagram does feel like a box. Like you're saying, like, don't put yourself in that box. Instagram does kind of feel like a box sometimes. It, it, like, it's a cage. It's a yeah. cage. Yeah. Like everyone has posts, everyone has stories, everyone has reels. Like it's all just the you same. Do what's within your, your personal comfort zone and, and not allow it to really confine you. You have to right. just say, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. What does your social media planning look like then? So, you know, zero zone, 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 zero and zone. No, I literally do no planning. I post when I want to post in the moment. If I feel like it, what I want to post, I don't do anything for it at all. I story a lot. I neglect my feed hugely. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes I'm like, ugh, like I don't want to post my feed. Like I just want to keep doing stories and reels and just other stuff. Like I do. I don't even, I mean, like I've been dabbling in reels. I just, I don't know. I feel like it's such a time suck. It is. It takes entirely too long. Um, I should, maybe I should do more of those. I don't want to though. So I probably won't. (laughs) I need, I need some of you to wear off on me like this. Just like I do what I want and it still works out attitude. Like I need this. (laughs) I I mean, like, I, I just think it's just the way to not to let go of so much self bad self-talk and expectation that's unrealistic and all the things that we tell ourselves. It's a good way to just begin letting go of that and letting that unravel and seeing that you're still fine. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you have two, three kids, right? Three kids, three boys. Yes. So since you're a mom, I, I only get a few moms on the podcast. So I always want to ask about being a mom. Um, what, what does your work life balance look like? How do you keep it in check? Balance is non-existent. (laughs) I work on the, I also homeschool my kids while I unschool my kids. I live a very child led life. I want to create individuals who are able to nurture their strengths from the very beginning without being put on a conveyor belt. That's just how I think about things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I raise my kids wild and help them pursue the things that are, that they're passionate about. And if that changes, if I pay $300 for a Japanese class and they decide three classes and they don't like it, then we just move on and pay th- whatever for the next thing that they're into. I just am here to facilitate exploration for them. Um, so I do that. Um, mm-hmm. And I also balance my own work somehow in there. So I try to make it so that I get the kids, when the kids get up and we mosey around, we kind of decide how we're feeling that day. I get them started on whatever it is they want to do. If they don't want to do anything that day, then we do it the next day. I don't have any 
pressure on them to achieve anything and, and hit markers that are unrealistic and stupid. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, I'll do my work for a couple hours a day. I, I do like more of a flexible time blocking because it's not possible for me. I have chickens and goats and a farm. So at any moment, anything can fall apart. It needs my immediate <laughs> attention. Um, I just know what my deadlines are and I know how long I need to dedicate to each project throughout a week. And so mm-hmm. I just make it happen that way. Okay. I don't any sort of like, I don't like to do a deadline on myself because then it will just build up in my mind and become a thing. Uh, one of the things that I do is I get up six or seven in the morning and I meditate for an hour. Um, mm-hmm. because I just find that if I don't, my mind, just like how you, I'm a huge overthinker too. And I have to, I have to, I'm trying to get rid of that. I just don't want to be that. I don't enjoy that. Right. So meditation helps me with that. It helps me manage my life. Um, and then I just make sure I go to the gym because I, if I don't, then I'll want to murder. So I go and lift heavy weights and I just feel good. And I, I make sure that my animals and my kids are cared for. Um, and that no, but I'm not missing any contra- contractual deadlines. Yeah. So it's all about just trying, making things work, knowing what I have to do within the span of a week and, and doing it when I can. Yeah. Especially when I was in the midst of busy season, those, that deadline thing was huge for me and I think it's it's kind of freeing like knowing okay I have this due you know in a week or two weeks and whatever it takes for me to get to that point where it's done in two weeks like I can do that and I don't have to you know set set up these unrealistic standards of like I have to work from eight to five every day or whatever like it can happen on my own time which is just a nice feeling it's perfect and that's one of one of the things I accepted this last year I think I fired like three external editors, but I decided like, I have to stop controlling things. And I, in order for me to feel good and to be able to do, give my attention elsewhere in my life. And I, I don't like editing. I hate editing. Yeah. So I have an external editor. I finally found one that I love and I send her probably 40, 50% of my weddings and I do the rest myself, but she's lovely. And she, the problem I think is that you, you people see color differently. And I wasn't hitting my match with someone who saw color the way that I saw color. Yeah. Uh, and so she's wonderful. And then of course I, I prep all of it ahead of time and send her a little bit edited of each section. So she knows what I'm going for and, right. and she's have an open communication and it's great because she edits it, sends it back to me and I prep it into the slideshow, make sure it's good to go and yeah. do my delivery process. Is that the only thing that you outsource or what are some of the things that you outsource? Only thing I outsource, and that has been, um, it's been an exercise in, in letting go because I I am such a natural control freak that it is very difficult for me to, to let things go. Like I don't even, I never hardly ever work with a second shooter. If I do, it's because I don't want to travel alone. And so I'll bring like my, my best friend and my mentor who brought me up in photography. I, her name is Brooke Johnson. Um, Mm -hmm. I bring her with me and she, she second shoots for me, but it's mostly just for, for travel buddies and not being alone. I don't, I don't like to work. And I even, I'm honest with my couples about that. If they think they need a second shooter because they type into Google, what do I need for my photographer? What should I ask my photographer? And I literally will interrupt him and be like, this is a list off of Google, isn't it? <laughs> and then I'll just take over from there. But I tell them, you can hire, if you want to hire a second shooter, you absolutely can, but I probably won't use anything that they shoot. So it's going to be okay. a waste of money. If you, if you want a second shoot or if, if you need a second shooter, I'll tell you if you're having a monster wedding and I'm like, that's too many people, 300 people usually is, is my threshold. I'll say, we need a second shooter. 
Um, mm -hmm. Or if it's like a weird situation where he's getting ready over here and his partner's getting ready way over there and I can't be in two places at once, but because of the timeline, I have to, um, then I will also recommend a second shooter. But I am very involved in the timeline and I get final approval per my contract. So um, yeah, I have to because yeah. planners are beautiful. They do beautiful work, but a lot of times they don't think about lighting. They don't think about they also don't know, like, I don't need that much time here, but I need more time over here. So I always have final approval on all the timeline and I go through it hour by hour with my couples before, before the wedding. Yeah. Have you ever had any issues with that? Like for some reason, like it just not working out with the timeline and what you need. I mean, we've had the stuff where it's, it's run way over or something's gone off the rails the day of, but usually no. Uh -uh. because my couples really listen to me. They really trust what I have to say on things. So I'm like, I need more time in the beginning. You either have to add an hour or we're going to, this is what's going to be sacrificed for not having enough time. Um, mm -hmm. If it's like a strange thing and we can't manipulate anything on the back end of the day and we need to, you know, do some, some changing there, but they really listen to what I have to say. So I haven't run into anything like that. Okay. That's good. I was just curious. Like, I don't know, you know, sometimes it's just, I mean, I had one bride last year who, didn't she was a rescheduled bride which last year was crazy it was just crazy it was for hard. All and everything it was so hard mm -hmm. um but I had a bride and she didn't send me any of her stuff <laughs> and I just couldn't Good. get a hold of her so that was the only time that's ever happened where I was like the day of okay I guess I'm coming I here's what we're doing <laughs> and then you know like I always pushed for the first look not for the tap on the shoulder but because it allows us two portrait opportunities and it also allows us to get the family photos and all the the full bridal party over before the ceremony so that when the ceremony's done all we have to do are portraits and party and that's that's the best part so you don't want to be a slave to the timeline and I'm constantly trying to educate them on that yeah well you when you're not doing a first look, like, is that something that drastically affects like you're kind of like, uh, if you're, you know, just working or whatever, like on a wedding date, is that? I hate it because it feels like a lot of standing around. There's so many things that you can't get done. And I think there's only like maybe one couple a year who don't want to take my advice on that. Okay. Um, and usually afterwards they're like, man, we wish that we would have, because after the ceremony, we got a bam, 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 check off four things and it's just go, go, go. And then they don't feel relaxed. They don't feel like they're able to really organically enjoy after the wedding. So mm -hmm. those are the times that I really, my dogs just came running and I'm so sorry. No, no, worries. no, those are the times that I really just, he's going to be crazy. Um, Cody, my husband just let the dogs in and just went on to live his life. And now I'm being attacked. No, that's okay. Um, so those are the things that those are the, the risks that are taken. And I let them know, like if we run way over schedule, let's say for some reason, your mom gets in a car accident or like a little fender fender bender on the way to the ceremony ceremony runs an hour and a half, two hours late, you lose your portrait time. And we didn't have a first look. So we have no portraits. All we'll have are some nighttime, you know, like a whole different yeah. vibe. So that's the risk that they take. Right. Yeah. No. And that, that's how I feel too. Sometimes I just, with my couples, I'm like, like, I don't know how to necessarily say like, Hey, you should, you should definitely do a first look, you know, but I, it does come with that establishing the authority right away. Which Gosh, I, think, I think that that's where you would have to change your is just saying, Hey, like, I'm not doing it to be a, you know, like a dictator. I always right. let them like everything I do is for you. I am your human Xanax. I'm here to facilitate a, a beautiful photo story and something really real. I don't want to, everything I tell you is for a good reason. Yeah. 
Yeah. All depends on you. So I take it from that. I think about it as talking to a toddler. You don't have kids, so maybe, but I, I'm, I like have to spin it positive. It's not no. It's let's try it this way. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's that's a good approach. When it comes to your like, I guess your. <laughs> this is like such a big question. I'm just gonna lay it on you. What is like no. the biggest lesson that you've learned in photography? Like oh the goodness. biggest thing. The biggest lesson. Um, first of all, choose your friends wisely, mm-hmm. go with your gut. If something doesn't feel right about somebody, it's usually for a reason. Um, I know that, you know, there's a lot of science now that tells you, you know, like 90 for 95% of the serotonin you create is actually comes from your gut. So your gut is technically a, a mind of its own. So when you're not huh. feeling about something in your gut, it's for a reason. Yeah. Um, and I think that people like to write that stuff off and use their logical mind to talk them out of why they're feeling away about a certain person, but you can get really burned. Um, be careful who you're disclosing any like big, beautiful ideas that you have. Like say you want to do a certain workshop or you want to, I've seen people get burned on things like that, where someone will take that idea. So just be sure that you're surrounding yeah. yourself with people that, you know, you can trust that you feel good about. Um, I think my next thing would be that you need to take control of your entire business, every single aspect and be okay with saying no to things and Mm -hmm. be okay with saying you're not comfortable with things and make sure that you know where you're headed and where you want to go and, and do a little gut check every now and again, to make sure that you are happy with what you're creating and who you're working with. And if not, it's time to look at what we're doing wrong because it's always you. It's not (laughs) It's always you. It's always something that you're not doing wrong, right? Uh, for yourself. So you're just screwing yourself over because you don't want to say no, or because you're, you're not putting the right message out, or you're pretending to be someone else and it's attracting the wrong client, or you're not shooting work that you love. Mm -hmm. And you just get caught in this spiral of shooting the same shit that you hate over and over and over again. We don't want to do that. We want to create something that's for us and for in service of others at the same time. And there is, that can happen. Yeah. That can happen. So trust your gut. When it comes to friends, but also when it comes to everything on you your business. Yeah. Everything. Yes. Trust and if you're unhappy, it's you. <laughs> it is you. It really is. It's something that you're, that you're neglecting to acknowledge about yourself and to honor about yourself. Yeah. Your it could be really, oh, go ahead. Sorry. God, I just think that there should never be a separation between who you are and your business. You yeah. should your business. Everything right. about you should be, I mean, think about it. When you're asleep, people are online learning about you. And deciding if they're going to hire you. So you need to make sure that your website, your social media, your messaging across the board is a reflection of your personality. Even if it's, even if you have to make it a little more turned up than how you really are, it's all for the good, for the good of you, for the good of your business to deter people that you do not want to work with. Right. And like, what's the point of being on, you know, putting so much time on social media or on your website only to not actually be the same way in real life like what's the point of doing that because people are they're gonna find out and yeah yeah. you're gonna have to be with them in person you know what I'm saying like or you're gonna just run into this this loop of just misery where you're having to post all these things that don't feel organic to who you really are and you're just unhappy we all get unhappy when we have to hide parts of ourselves right so Start your business by just being totally 100% who you are in every aspect. And the people just like you will hire you. Yes, they will. It might take just a little bit of time, but like... It's worth it. It's so worth it. In the meantime, you reach out to them. If you're a new person starting a business, you start looking online and finding people local to you who want to shoot with you or who want to try 
you could tell them like, I'm trying to move my business in a new direction and I want to try different type of shooting, or I just want to experiment. I would love to give you free photos. I've never had anyone say no to that, um, to build your portfolio, to build your confidence and for you to get to experiment with what you like and what you don't like. It's just yeah. be shooting. Just get out there. No, I love doing like model calls and stuff like that, especially if I just have like this idea in my head. I still do it. Like if I have just a shoot that I really want to try, like I'll just go and ask someone, you know, if they're down to do it or not. Like it, yeah. it, you never get to a point where you want to stop doing that because that's where that creativity kind of comes from. Oh, absolutely. And like you were saying earlier, removing money from it is the biggest thing because there's no expectations. It's truly just creating. Right. And it, and it really just helps you for your next paid job because you can say, Hey, I tried that to yourself. Like, you know, that you've executed it before and you can continue to evolve it and try it while getting paid. So it's really right. just a win. I approached a couple on an airplane. They were the row ahead of me. And I literally put my hand through and I was like, Hey, <laughs> I'm coming to this city. Are you guys here? I'm here for a few days. And I ended up shooting with them. This was like four years ago. And I made a beautiful session that I really loved. Um, and it's okay if people say no, it's okay. Yeah. But think about it. In an Instagram age, everyone loves professional photos. It's so true. it's like one of those things where the risk is not that high and you don't know them anyway. So go for it. Yeah. Okay. The next flight I'm on, I'm looking for a cute couple and I'm you would be so surprised. I mean, and uh, we've even, my friend and I were years ago on a beach somewhere for work and there was a couple there and we just approached them and did a session with them, like, like a mini session. It was just fun just to be creative and have fun and, and do something. Yeah. So, and you can use, even if you don't have a whole session worth using, you can take one photo and turn it into something on your portfolio. Yes, absolutely. Wow. That, that was good lessons all around. You had like multiple little things that you said, but all of them were so good. So, um, I would love to wrap up this episode by you just kind of telling everyone where they can find you kind of like what's new and going on in your business. I know we talked about your yeah. mentorships a little bit, but yeah, just kind of. So, um, you can find my website at larkinkendall.com. Don't forget the U it's L A U R K E N. It's horrendous. Um, my Instagram's the same at Larkin Kendall. Um, my new online monthly membership for photographers who don't want to waste a lot of time is a, a mother photographer as in mother, as in photographer, motherphotographer.com. <laughs> Um, so that's going to go live, uh, next Tuesday on February 1st, that will be open. And I'm going to start just dropping three to four pieces of content a month mm -hmm. from here into eternity. And we'll see how it goes. <laughs> how it goes. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about that. Um, my Facebook community has been amazing. I actually opened it up for founding members. I called it last okay. month. And, um, I said, Hey, I want to do this thing and I want to know how I can serve my community. So if you want to come on early, I gave them a, a founding member price of 27 bucks. And I said, you can have this price forever. Um, as long as you are in good standing and I want you to help me build this into what you need it to be. And so they, we've been like brainstorming in the Facebook group, which has been amazing. I had like 350 people sign up, wow. which way more than I expected. I was thinking like 40 and <laughs> that was like my goal. I was like, it's going to be like, so it's amazing. And it's been really helpful to, to see the needs in my community and I'm curating and creating content. I hate the word content so much, but um, yeah. what it, is, it is what it is. Education yeah. material yes. uh, based around the needs of the people in there, which is lovely. And I'm, I just want to, I just really want to help in a real honest way. That's no fluff and no bullshit and no cards and no secrets, you know, yeah. not 
kind of stuff. Yeah, I love it. I love your focus on community. I think that's one of like the biggest things that's been helpful for me as a photographer is just knowing photographers that I can trust and like actually having people that I can go to when I don't know, just random things happen or just like to talk about different things like community is so huge. So it's really cool. And that's why it's really important to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with good people. A lot. I tell people all the time when I'm mentoring, like I didn't get here. I got here on my own, but I didn't. Some of my best opportunities have come from just friends in the industry, not being able to take a wedding or saying, Hey, this client's not for me, but I think it's for you because they want this and I'm not comfortable doing it. Or planners who loved working with me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's making sure that, that you are Uh, of the mindset that teamwork makes the dream work when you're at your weddings and you're understanding that these people are future connections to, to cool opportunities down the road. Um, but make sure you're, you're saying no to people you don't want to work with and no to, you know, you don't have to repeat experiences by working with planners. You hate a lot of times we all know in the photography industry that, you know, there's a thing with the videographer. Sometimes there's like some type of like rivalry that go, I don't know that it's rivalry. It's more like, um, like two kids competing for the attention of mom, yes. I would encourage you that I don't quite understand. Um, <laughs> or like a planner on a power trip. There's nothing worse to me than that. So I let my couples set that intention with everyone before I even have to be in the same room with them. And I let them know, like, here's how it is. Cause they oftentimes just don't get that. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. You need to let your planner know what, what you expect as far as their relationship with me and your videographer know. Um, so I, I put that on their shoulders to take care of, but if I'm at a wedding and a planner is treating me like garbage, I'm going to say something right then and there as well. Um, I just can't. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. Like when you shoot weddings, there's so many connections that you can make either good or bad. You know, sometimes you just have a really bad experience with a videographer and then the next videographer you work with is just amazing. And you want to shoot every single wedding with them, you know? So, and it does impact, like I refer people to videographers I've worked with that I've liked. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know? me too. And that's another thing that you have to think about too, is people, the, the referral network is huge. You should be able to spin your web. Real, I call it, I think of it as a spider web. I didn't have lots of friends. Just make sure it's quality human beings, yeah. you know, don't sacrifice for money or your comfort for money or, or relationships or whatever. Yeah. It's not, it's not necessary at all. And I, but I do think it's really important for you to find community because I would not be where I am today without so many, many people, even the membership thing that I'm doing with mother photographer, my friend, Alyssa, I told you the florist, she just helped me understand Kajabi and how she was running it. Like (laughs) nothing for literally nothing. And that's, that's, what's so important is you never know where it's going to come from. She's not even a photographer. Yeah. That's so nice. Yeah. It's like the people who are just willing to help you just to help you as a person like they're not in it for what can they get out of it but it's like I just care about you and I just want to help you like and I encourage you everyone who listens to this if they're still listening at this point to be that person (laughs) because it comes back it's you're rewarded with your kindness and with your generosity by having it reflected back onto you and that's so true and I've lived it I've experienced it and I just I just encourage you to always be giving up your time because that's really the most important non-renewable resource that there is it's not even money it's just your time and even 10 minutes of helping a fellow photographer with a bad client situation by giving them advice that's huge to them Mm -hmm. and that's creating a bond there um never know who that person's going to be in five years yeah 
Wow. Okay. Mic drop. That was amazing. <laughs> we ended on that note. Yes. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on today's episode. It was so great oh, talking with you. So great talking with you too. And I'm looking forward to, you know, having a relationship with you now. Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Expose my mind to clarity. Oh, my spirit shudders. Capture the moment, oh, keep my sanity. The wisdom rushing in. So much clearer now. Getting a little bit higher. With every step I take, I'm getting good. Getting a little bit better. I'm climbing to the top. Never gonna stop my